This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at the BatmanUniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Donovan, I know that I betrayed you in breaking the seven-year streak of having you on this special, but I hope that you'll forgive me after listening. Yours truly, Stella. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarian. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. <laughs> It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Together, 
Sawate, I'm your host, Stella, and this is Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 169, the shipper special number eight for February MMXIX. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by... Born and raised to make a kill She was not given her own will Her first hit left her feeling only disdain She ran to Gotham's no man's land Learned from Barbara Gordon's hand The studs, the legacy of Cassandra Kane Rising from the devastation of no man's land a new warrior joined the Bat family. Daughter of David Kane and Lady Shiva, trained from birth to be the ultimate killer, but choosing instead to save lives. She's been Batgirl, Black Bat, and Orphan. She is Cassandra Kane. Join Mike Staley as he goes through every appearance of one of DC's most underrated characters in Silent Night, the Cassandra Kane Podcast. On iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and at silentnight.podomatic.com. Backroll the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let, let me tell you about shippers. <laughs> get over get get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Stop talking. Ship ship shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick, Dick, Dick and Babs. Batman and Cat, Catwoman. There we go. For the shippers, Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien, Seth, Seth, Stephanie, shippers. I'll kill them. Dick and Babs. Well, this particular comic took me years to find and is also one of the most expensive comics that I own. Now, if you're going on eBay looking for a lot, like a bunch of birds of prey, you probably will not have this issue in that lot. They'll skip over it. On milehighcomics.com, you can get a fair copy for $15. But if you want a near-mint copy, you're going to be shelling out $213. I did not pay that, but just to give you a sense. It's also, as I would say, a shipperific issue for Dick and Babs fans. So we're going to be doing, if you've not caught on already, Birds of Prey number 8. And with me today, I'm so happy about this, to go through a page-by-page, page, a director's cut, is the actual writer and the creator of Birds of Prey himself, Mr. Chuck Dixon. Welcome back to the well, show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been a little while. I guess it was maybe 2009 or something that I did uh, Backroll Year One. That sounds about right. 
So here we are with this. I'm just so thankful. I kicked off my regular co-host for this. (laughs) And I said, I think that you'll forgive me once you figure out whom I'm having on. So I I think he'll forgive me. (laughs) Well, with all that set up for Birds of Prey number eight, did you have any idea when you were writing this particular issue that it would be pretty popular and actually hard to find? No, I had no idea. I had zero idea. I, I wish they had sent me a few more cases of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You could just sell them at particular times and get your income. Seriously. From that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the genesis of this issue was um, Scott Peterson and Jordan Gorfinkel were always encouraging me to do what I call a talkie issue. Basically, we're just a character driven story where the characters just simply relate to each other for 22 pages. And everything in me resisted writing that kind of story because I always like to get action in because it's a visual medium. But they talked me into uh, Birds of Prey 8 and Nightwing 25 of doing mm. character exposition issues. But, of course, okay. of course, there's action in both. I figured out a way to put action in both stories. And you, I would say – it seems like you're a big proponent of this relationship. I mean, I've been f- reading along in Nightwing as I go through Birds of Prey as well, and there's lots of flirtations. You had them kiss, of course, in No Man's Land, 38 and 39, Ballistic Romance. Was this your idea to start to pair them up together, or was it coming from on high? to Let's let's see what we can do with, with these two. No, it just sort of like began and ended with me. I mean, I don't think anyone else ever wrote them this way. Everybody kind kind of ignored what I was doing across the uh, the Bat teams. And uh, the Dick and Babs romance pretty much just ran in Nightwing and, and Birds of Prey. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was all me. I mean, they didn't ask for it. It just seemed to be a natural extension of their characters that these, these yeah. two would, you know, understand one another. That does make sense when you say it was all you because in No Man's Land, they seem to get together. But then with the New Year's Eve issue, Nightwing ends up going to visit Helena and they share a kiss on New Year's Eve. So people, you know, are wondering, wait, what's happening? Is it, you know, Dick and Babs or is it Dick and Helena? Do you have any horse in the race between those two? No, it's it's Barbara because... Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you No, know, Helena is just, um, she's that irresistible kind of crazy woman that, that you know the wrong woman uh that, sure. that guys kind of you know fall for and, and 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 women do the same thing you know women sometimes attracted to the bad boy they know isn't any good for them and helena is the bad girl who isn't any good for dick <laughs> but of course is irresistible yeah. because of that she's a real femme fatale <laughs> she sure is and of course she'll yeah join the birds of prey team soon enough <laughs> yeah well, I was looking up, so the, the cover date for this is August 1999, and I wanted to see where this was falling in terms of Batman continuity. And so parts 23 and 24 of No Man's Land are also on the stands, which were Batman 568 and Detective Comics 735, the Fruit of the Earth parts 2 and 3. And then Nightwing was on issue 34. So this is actually happening before Ballistic Romance. So we're right before that when they actually get together. So I guess Babs does, in fact, work through her, her issues there. In your mind, would you say that this is happening right before they blow the bridges of No Man's Land and, and after Cataclysm? Is that where you would place it in Batman continuity? Well, my own personal continuity, yeah, it would be placed well before that because I'm ab- I'm absolutely okay. certain this issue was written 
long before No Man's Land was even an idea. Okay. So I, I stayed way ahead of schedule back then. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense because, of course, with the first couple pages, you see that Gotham is closed and there's some sort of exodus. Yeah, there was okay. probably some rewriting done there uh, before it came out. Gotcha. So. Okay. Well, let's get into it. So we're going to start with the cover, of course, a beautiful cover by Greg Land. How much input do you have or did you have in the design of all the covers that for any of them, Nightwing, Birds of Prey, all of the Robin, all of the books that you do? How much input do you Very have? Very little. Um, okay. Occasionally, I would suggest a cover. I think there's a, an issue with Detective where I actually did a cover rough for Kelly Jones, but um, – that was very rare. I simply thought of a cover idea that was too irresistible to ignore, and uh, he loved it. So, and then the editors loved it. But but 99.9% of the time, I stayed out of the cover process entirely because DC at the time had a – I can't remember his name, but they had a cover editor. And okay. uh, and then I had Greg Land and Brian Stelfreeze, and I wasn't about to try to tell them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I agree with you. The cover is absolutely gorgeous. I wish I could take some credit for it, but I can't. <laughs> And I like that he chose to go with Barbara wearing sort of an homage to the Batgirl suit rather than the pink suit that she actually has within the issue. Right, right. Yeah. So that works Very well. cool. Okay. So page one, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Starting off. So it all seems pretty standard. You know, Dinah is talking to someone, but it turns out to be Nightwing and not Oracle. And right off the bat, he lets slip the word or name, I should say, Babs. And, of course, Dinah jumps right in on that. And, you know, Dinah, since the beginning, since your miniseries, has been pretty curious about wondering who's on the end of the line, but she hasn't looked into it lately. But is this something that is going to pique her interest and she's going to investigate it? Do you think she already has a suspicion at this point who Oracle is? No, I don't think she has any idea who Oracle is. Um, And, you know, uh, this is really, I think, one of the early indications that Oracle might be that I've, I've made it clear to the readers that she speak, she knows she's speaking to a woman. Mm. Uh, this is like the first time I've made that clear. And, um, but yeah, she's really doesn't know. And, and the thing is, Barbara hasn't given her much time to think about it. <laughs> that is true. Yep. And then she asks about Dick and Babs's relationship. Would, would this be out of interest or do you think, you know, she's just trying to paint a picture of who this Oracle could yeah, be? Yeah. She's just fishing, you know, at that point. Because okay. you know, I, I never, I never, I mean, I don't know about how other people treat Black Canary, but I never saw her as that much of a detective. You know, uh, mm-hmm. this iteration, her mother yeah. was, but I didn't see her as that much of a detective. So she's doing, she's doing her best here to figure it out. Okay, so page three, we've got, uh, or I guess I'm sorry, I skipped our title page right. uh, on wings, and then of course we have all our creators, uh, penciler. Greg Land, Inker. Is it Drew Garassi? It's Geraci. The, the, Itali- the Itali- Italian okay. pronunciation, Geraci. Okay. Colorist, Gloria Vasquez. Uh, letterer, Albert T. De Guzman. Mm-hmm. Separator, Digital Chameleon. Joseph Illich, of course, as the associate editor. And then Jordan B. Gorfinkel as the editor. And you already have Nightwing swinging through the city in the air, and that continues the the theme, or even begins the theme of On Wings. Was that intentional to have him swing from start to finish instead of taking the lazy way and taking a, a cab from one end to the well, other? Well, he's Nightwing. We want to see him in action. You know, you're going to have Greg Land doing a beautiful splash page. You're not going to want to lose that opportunity. And then, um, 
you know, I could say I thought hard about it, but usually I just intuited this stuff. Uh, you know, when it comes to themes or, you know, thinking about this stuff more artistically, uh, I can't take much credit. Uh, <laughs> it just seemed intuitively to me we want to see him in action. I mean, uh, that's that's a trademark of all my stories. I want to open on action when I can. I couldn't in this case on the first page. So, of course, on the right. second page, I'm going to I'm going to give you the eye candy. So. Yeah, that is uh, that. Thank you for bringing that up because I always notice that about you know Birds of Prey how they're like in the midst of a mission and it might not even be the main mission of the arc, but you've got something. It's almost like a James Bond esque yeah. Yeah. thing where there's always like a mini mission before James Bond gets his actual thing that'll carry us throughout the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's a it's the cold opening, and you know I was always told um, act as if every comic is someone's first comic, so I always sure. opened on on action that would. You know, not just action for action's sake, but action that would intrigue the reader right, and engage them early on. And and maybe it didn't have anything to do with the rest of the story, as you said, but at least it got you in there and you understood the characters by page three or four. On page three, at the bottom panel, there is just a funny th- – there's that physical altercation. And I just wonder if Nightwing doesn't notice it or he chooses to ignore it in order to get to his date. I, I, it's just background stuff. I don't think he saw – I don't okay. think he saw it. I mean, Nightwing wouldn't just go okay. by a guy beating another guy up. <laughs> so, and it, and the story's pretty obvious here. We got a we got a rear end fender bender, and right. and tempers are short in Gotham at the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> so you mentioned that this is going to be a character study, more or less, and there's going to be more talking, and we we have many narration boxes. What made you decide to use? the point of view of Nightwing rather than Barbara in this issue? Because everything in the issue was going to be a surprise to Barbara. So kind of had to tell it from Nightwing's point of view. Uh, so that uh, even though a lot of the, the reader is also surprised because they don't know what he's doing, it just seems, it kind of seems like Nightwing's issue. Because uh, he's the guy doing all of the uh, you know gallant things that he does and romantic things. So he's kind of the uh, instigator here. So it just made sense. Again, intuitively. It's not like I sat right. and thought about this for weeks. <laughs> you know, intuitively, <laughs> sure. it just seemed like the, the best idea was to show it from his point of view. He's, he's the one Absolutely. doing the courting. So. Yeah. And I like how even though the cover shows obviously it's going to be a, a Dick and Babs issue, that you do hide it a little bit. You know, he's, he's just using pronouns really. But then when you have on the bottom of four and you see the wheelchair from that perspective to him, you start to get a hint. So you don't reveal her right away, which I really like. There's a bit of a mystery in it. But, you know, any person who saw the cover obviously knows who it is. But I like how you do yeah, once, it. Once again, I don't know what's going to be on the cover. So. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So you just went in with that thinking that we're just doing it a little bit at a time until there's the big reveal of who this woman is. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm kind of like uh, as a writer, kind of like kind of immature when I do the comic scripts because I won't even reveal to the artist uh, who a character is they're talking about or whatever until they actually appear in the story. I treat the artist as if he's the reader. So uh, I, I probably – I'm sure at the script at the beginning of this, I didn't make it clear he was going to meet Barbara. Mm-hmm. So so even he would be surprised when he read the script because that's, <laughs> that's how much of a showman I insist on being. Ah, it's kind of it's okay. silly, but you know, there it is. Yeah. On page five now, I like how at the beginning you can just see how they – share the same language. You know, all he has to say is that this place has roof access mm-hmm. and she drops everything. And of course, this would make sense that you go here a lot because you can change pretty easily. 
But then we get to an interesting, the next panel, how suspicious she is when Dick says, you know, it's it's just a date. But of course, she doesn't know this right away. You've been giving them some flirtatious dialogue in your Nightwing book. So why do you think that she's okay flirting on the air? But when it's in person, like she's actually, she's pretty timid. And this will be a theme throughout as well as we see towards the end. But why here is she so uncomfortable with the maybe it's a date? Well, you've got the physical presence, you know, uh, of, of this person that she's known for a long time, but now senses there's a change in their relationship because of the way he's acting. And also, uh, in, in a darker sense, and again, I intuit all this, uh, and, and I expect the reader to as well, the, 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 the darker sense that when, when she is only a voice, she's a, she feels she's a complete person. In person, you see that she's confined to a wheelchair, and she feels somewhat reduced and more defensive. So there's that. So um, that, that, that's the aspect that you know, I brought to this. One of my favorite things that you do actually is in the bottom panel. And it's, I would say it's like a misdirection because it seems like there's some sort of threat. And then you turn the page and it's not at all a threat. I think the last time we saw this was Dinah. Babs, I think, had given her a computer and she's like saying, not that, not that, but you can't see what it is. And then the next page you, you have it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just like the, the humor that you bring. I think it naturally fits the characters. But do you think it's the characters? Did you think that they were already humorous or is it the book that sort of molded them to be more humorous and, and sarcastic at times? Yeah, I can't resist putting humor in a story because, you know, there's so much humor in life, not comedy, but humor. Because it, humor grows out of the situation, out of the characters, and I simply can't resist going there. And also, this was such a golden opportunity for a great segue and also a great page-turn panel. Because you can't, you can't read that last panel and not want to see what's going to happen next. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was, it was just a golden opportunity for a lot of different things. For, in my mind, every scene that, that I write has to serve two purposes. And, and here... You know, it, it, there's humor and also um, it shows the growing relationship and then we end with a surprise or a potential surprise. Yeah. And it works out with my printing anyways. I have to turn the page so it's not a side-by-side. So you really are sus- in suspense of, oh, my goodness, what's happening? And then you turn the page physically and, and you have the actual gag, which, of course, is a, a clown with a bomb that doesn't quite work. But these two pages I just really like because of how I think free and, you know, laughing Barbara is and showing joy, whereas she's generally – I would call her a curmudgeon. She's not always a curmudgeon, but she is more serious, I think, as Oracle than she has been as Batgirl. But the the line that Dick says, he says it was good to see Barbara laugh and he talks about her laugh again later. Is that something – that you feel he doesn't see often or does he just like to see her express joy as much as possible? What is your take on, yeah, her personality, I guess? I think he point. like wants to re- restore her to the Barbara he knew before and, and, and see that Barbara again and see her happy again. I mean, uh, it's just a natural inclination for him. He misses that Barbara. So uh, in this story, he's doing as much as he can to remind her of who she was. I sound so highfalutin when I say this stuff, <laughs> but you know, you know. But like I say, it's all intuitive. It's not like I'm a genius and I figured all this out. I mean, I mean, like you, I've known these characters all my life practically, and and so you know, a chance to write them and think this much about them was a blessing. And and you know, 
So, you know, I just did what felt natural. Do you feel like Barbara now, well, in this right now, I mean, is more morose and, I don't know, stoic might not be the word, but, you know, compared to Batgirl and she was not necessarily bubbly, but, you know, more optimistic and things. Would you say there's a difference between Barbara as Batgirl and Barbara as Oracle? Yeah, yeah. There's a bitterness that she she works really hard to hide and, and, you know, most of the time does hide. But there's a bitterness, and you know it's a traumatic, a horrible. I mean, it's a horrible traumatic experience that uh, horrified readers as well as the characters. I mean, right. I was appalled uh, at Killing Joke, and a lot of what I write is uh, it grows out of that. Um, you know, those feelings of oh my god, I wish this comic had never happened, and and then you make you know you turn it into well, these characters wish this event never happened in their lives, and and just deal mm. with it from there. So I mean, I think we all as fans shared her trauma. Mm, absolutely. Yep. Page seven. Now, no offense to the writing, of course, because I love it, but you could almost do away with the words and you almost get a sense of everything that's going on in these images and just, you know, them looking at each other and having a fun time, which which I very much like. One thing that's interesting is this random kid popping out of uh, Dick's head. Do you see that in the middle panel on page seven? See, my pages here aren't numbered. I'm looking at the trade. It is oh okay so it's on the uh, it's after the clown carrying the bomb so it's the next one with the, the oh yeah 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 off. I see see that now so there's just one random other audience member and it happens to be a kid and it just looks like it's popping out of yeah that's a little bit of a tangent yeah I didn't even notice that <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> okay well in the next page now we get to some serious stuff which we'll we'll talk about a little bit uh multiple times i would say so we, something that i th- was thinking about as i was reading the previous two pictures of course or p- pages is that my goodness these are clowns is there no association for barbara and the joker and she actually brings it up and she jokes with dick about this but is it also possible that the joke is partly true well it works because it is true and and but she's taken an opportunity to, you know, for a gotcha moment to make him feel uncomfortable. Mm. You know, like she's being – is she being serious? I don't know. Is she being serious or mock serious here? Did she did yeah. she lighten up when she realized how hard he took it or did she mean for him to take it that hard just to get him, get him one in the ribs? Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but but character-wise, it works perfectly. So so maybe maybe the giveaway is that fourth panel where Greg, you know, draws her as she looks honestly pleased. So Right. That she got yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And it's hard to tell cuz you know going from the different panels, I mean the one above the gotcha panel, she really does look disgusted that he couldn't have thought right. about this. Right. But yeah. So she's a good jokester, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's what happens. I mean, no one would do this on a first date, but they've known they've known no. each other so long. You know, there's this there's yeah, this propinquity yeah. going on here. So. Absolutely. So it's not the first. Well, it's the first time in this issue. It won't be the last time where she almost talks about being over oh. it and having moved on. I think is is the word are the words she uses later on. Do you believe that this is true? No. No. Okay. Who could move on from that? I mean, she's reminded every day that it happened. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't. You know, people say you move. You know, well, you have to move on. You have to cope. You don't. You just learn to live with it, and and it changes your life forever. And you've got you, you've got to live your life with that in the past, and and just you know, there's no real, I, I you know, dealing with it is such a cheap phrase. 
but you, you just have to learn to live with it. It's like the loss of a loved one. You know, you've got to go on, and, you've, you've, and eventually you get to the point where you still feel the loss, but you remember the good times more than the bad. You know, I mean, I read recently about some, uh, you know, current veterans, combat veterans, and some of them talk about post-traumatic success instead of post-traumatic stress, where they, where they mm-hmm. feel that the trauma they went through made them a better person, built them into a better person. So we've got combat vets here in this comic, you know, four-color combat vets, and uh, she's dealing with it like a warrior would, you know, putting it behind her and trying to make as best a life as she can and productive a life as she can uh, post, you know, this horrible trauma that happened to her. Do you think when she's saying that I'm over it and I'm moving on, is she trying to convince herself or do you think she's trying to convince the members of the Batman family, especially given some of the things that she'll say later about them tiptoeing around her and things like that? Yeah, she's trying to convince everybody that she's still fully functional, which we can see she is. We've seen these past issues. And the thing is, I mean, you know, we as readers see what her world is like. Uh, Batman and Nightwing really have no idea of of how involved she is with, with Black Canary and all these other things. Um, how proactive she is still as a crime fighter, possibly even more proactive than she was as Batgirl because of her, of her network. So um, she wants everybody to know she's fully functional and nobody really needs to worry about her. And, you know, she's going to have her bad moments and her long nights, but she doesn't want them to know that. On page nine, um, still ribbing him a little bit, uh, says, that's what you get for being so sensitive. Let's tiptoe around Babs. Don't upset Babs. Is there a bit of commentary here on Barbara's relationship with the Batman family and maybe especially Batman post the killing joke? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, she's, you know, uh, post killing joke. Well, I wouldn't say post killing joke, but but in the stuff I wrote, she has a sort of uh, I don't know. She rejects the parent child relationship of Batman to his sidekicks. She, she feels she's fully formed now. She's a you know crime fighter in her own right. And she doesn't want any special treatment from him. You know, she doesn't want any parental concern from Batman. She rejects it. And and and, I, and in, in past writing and, and writing after this, she, she's actually somewhat bitter about it. She doesn't want him constantly in her life, and or to him feel that he has access to her life just because he cares about her. It's it's a real her it, her and Batman. It, it, when I when, in the way that I approached it, probably the most complicated relationship in the Batman family. So actually, this is good that I have you on there because when I read in your run, especially like leading up to this, whenever there's an interaction between them, it's cold, I feel. Uh, I don't know. I, some people, they say that I'm like reading into it, but I just feel like it's it's not friendly. Um, I think it gets better in No Man's Land because of how much he comes to rely on her. But it just seems like it's an uncomfortable relationship right now, and they're sort of learning to get their feet back in it. Is that how you intended to write it, or am am I reading too much? No, you're not reading too much into it. To me, every time they meet, it's a pissing match because okay. because he's he's Batman, you know, and Batman always gets the last word. Well, she's not having that. She's not letting him have the last word every time, and she's not letting him get away with platitudes or instructions or whatever, you know. Uh, he doesn't get to leave the room unseen like he does with her dad. <laughs> you know, you know right, he's yeah. got to stay and explain himself. You know, and uh, that's the way I wrote it. Yeah, there is a coldness and a sort of a competition and a rivalry, and also her trying her damnedest to prove herself, which you know, which mm-hmm. she has already done to the readers. You read the stories, you're like, she's still a badass. 
You know, right. she, she doesn't have to prove herself to Batman, but Batman doesn't know that. And she doesn't know, mm. you know, she has no idea what he really thinks of her. And I, I think that, you know, to himself, he thinks she's, she's an amazing woman, but he's never going to tell her that. Right. Yeah. He does have trouble uh, talking about his feelings. I think. Well, well, also, he's uh, trouble giving out compliments because he thinks, you know, it, Bruce's mind, you know, oh, well, if I compliment them today, tomorrow, they won't be as careful and they'll get killed. Mm. So... Yeah, very true. Well, on page 10, uh, we just have Dick uh, meeting up with with Harry Haley of the Haley Brothers Traveling Circus. So basically, I guess the chief what operating officer almost, if, if Dick is uh, really the, the owner of this. But again, we have just fun humor with the whole Jumbolina has the runs <laughs> and then you figure out. That, you know, it's actually an elephant. And then Babs is like, wow, I'm really sorry now. <laughs> so just the way you're able to definitely work humor in there it has been a, a delight when I've been reading these Birds of Prey stories. Well, that was, as, that's, uh, you know, often it was as much to amuse me as to, to amuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, at least your artist didn't have to draw John. No, no, I would never ask that of Frank. <laughs> <laughs> So pages 11 and 12 are, I would say, pretty big pages because we get into some some emotions here and obviously past history both on both sides. So on the left side, you've got Dick Grayson and his history, his tragic history, and then Barbara Gordon and her, I would say, more recent tragic history. Right. Let's see here. Do you think – so there's this interest at the very bottom of uh, the left-hand page – uh, she says, I guess that's the difference when he's talking about him being at peace with his demons and that the circus is a way to keep alive his parents' memories. And so he asks between you and me, and then she says, and Bruce. And so there are a couple ways that potentially you could take this. Is it that Babs and Dick are on one side and Bruce is on the other? Or would you say Dick is on one side and Barbara and Bruce have more in common in this particular like tragedy scenario? Um. I don't know. I, I see. I mean, she's looking at Dick and Bruce as two people who whose lives are as a result of childhood trauma. And her life as it is with this story at the time of the story is from an adult trauma. So there's a difference, you know, in the way they approached it. Um, she took a more pragmatic route with her life. And let's face it, you know, dressing up in costume and running around on rooftops is is a child's reaction <laughs> you know <laughs> sure. um you know i mean i love batman and i love robin but that's kind of psychotic as an adult to continue this kind of behavior uh you know there's something a little crazy about these guys crazy in a good way um you know crazy in like a war hero you know uh these guys fearless and no thoughts of their own safety that kind of crazy and, and mm-hmm. barbara is like as an adult has herself been injured and almost killed and humiliated and, and all the rest. So so her reaction is entirely different. So she's seeing Dick and Bruce on the other side of the equation. Gotcha. Okay. Do you foresee Barbara ever just stopping, putting it aside and, and retiring for real? Do you think that that's in her character DNA? No, no. The only character in this group that I've ever re- written that I felt that way about was Tim Drake. That Tim Drake would eventually oh. stop being Robin. This was like something okay. he did when he was a teenager and would stop. Barbara, no, she's dedicated. She's a warrior. She's as much dedicated as, as Bruce and Dick are to, to fighting crime in Gotham. On Barbara's page, which I absolutely love, you've got 
many images. Of course, you've got a fierce face as she's going through. You've got actually my favorite outfit is the the gray and blue with Killer Moth, my favorite <laughs> uh, D-list villain. And then you have right before she opens the door, Killing Joke, and then of course her in the hospital bed. Right. Can you go through what made you want to choose these particular images and especially with the killing joke? Because oftentimes writers and artists will choose like the the shot or you'll see, you know, the Joker in his Hawaiian shirt. So why right before that act happened and then the other images? I just wanted to show the start before and after, you know, just, you know, another evening at home, you know, and then, you know, in intensive care and a coma, you know, uh, there was no need to show the Joker. Most readers knew the story by now. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's actually – I really don't like Killing Joke. And it was a scene I, 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 I didn't want to revisit in, a, in, a, in any of my work. So, But, of course, mm-hmm. I had to deal with the aftermath because I'm, I'm writing sure. the characters. But I didn't want to represent that again. I thought, you know, we've all seen this. Everybody knows this. And if yeah. you don't, go look it up. <laughs> you know, but – but yeah, yeah, but not here. Yeah. But you know, and then I was pleased to throw Killer Moth in because I always love throwing Killer Moth in. <laughs> so. How does he rank for you in terms of Batman villains? He's he's awful. Uh, he's a ter- terrible villain, <laughs> which is what's great about him. He's a he's a yeah. Batman wannabe. Uh, he wants to be the Batman of the criminal class and and fails at every turn. And uh, I just, I love those kind of characters where he just he can't get out of his own way. And just the fact that he keeps coming back. you got to admire a guy who's that much of a loser but keeps coming back. Oh, man. Yes. And you got to deal with him, you know, in your own back row year one. So that must have been you know, that was, like a kid in a game. You know, that was fun because teaming him with Firefly, which was a natural team, and then yeah. teaming him with Firefly actually made him dangerous for the first time. So, Absolutely. Yep. And I do – it's a breath of fresh air that you didn't show the, I guess, cliched sh- shots of her being shot or the Joker. But it's interesting that, you know, we've you said we've all seen it before and this is 1999 and we're still seeing it. You know, there are times where I'll flip in, in a back row comic because she's flashing back and, oh, of course, there's the killing joke. So it's like something that I can never get past, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, they, they it's, to me, they revisit all the origins. And this is kind of a, a, a second act origin. It's the origin of Oracle. Right. They, re- they, re- yeah. they revisit the origins way too much, generally, for my thing. <laughs> Very true. Okay, well, going past, I have two house ads or random ads there so we are on page uh 13 i think and so she's talking about moving on again and the big one i think is the i guess it's one two three well it's the second one down uh she says a lot of the time it's like you bad guys want me to hold on to the past because you can't get over it understand i have the this is I mean, does this include all members, do you think, of the Bat family? Have they all been treating her with kid gloves? Or do you think, again, is it just focused on Batman? I think it's Batman and Hartley Dick because he knew her before. Uh, Tim Drake practically worships her. I mean, because, you know, she's like a tech goddess to him. Yep, so yep. Uh, that's an entirely different relationship. So there's yeah there's something there's some question that I want to ask but I just I can't I can't pull it to the the forefront but it very much is almost in a sense that 
I don't know. Is it just because, you know, she's a woman and this thing happened? She feels like these other people can't look at her and think that she can move on, but she's stronger than that? Is she still in this perpetual, you're a girl sort of phase and being underestimated? Or is it something more? I never really wanted to deal with that because I don't think that's, you know, she knows she's capable. They know she's capable. It's Mm -hmm. got nothing to do with whether she's a woman or not. They never... You know, I, I don't I don't ever remember a Batgirl story where like they were looking out for her because they were worried. You know, yeah. she always seemed they always seemed to understand. You know, in fact, I've, I think I've written that scene a few times. You know, how did you know um, you were OK? Well, you were with, you know, or, you know, you had my back. And I, I know I've had Batman say that to her. You know, you're, you know, I, I knew you'd take care of that. Um, mm. So I, I never I didn't want to, you know, uh, I didn't want to get into that kind of thing where, you know, um portray Batman and Robin and Nightwing as any kind of chauvinists. I, I never saw them as that. Yeah. She talks about her favorite moment, which is just that moment before the slack happens after she's jumped off a building with her uh, rope in hand. And there's just that moment where she's on wings. What went through, I mean, how many iterations did you have? Did you have to sit down and think about what would her favorite moment be? How would you get into the mindset of Barbara Gordon for this? I, I just think um, that's, you know, I, to be frank, I, I, I don't know what my mind was doing at the time, but I just know my I know how my mind works. I was probably remembering back to early Spider-Man comics when I was a kid. Okay. And, and when Spider-Man would leap off the roof, and they, they do that so well in the movies. He leaps off the roof. And the web is going, and then when it snaps, you know, and and it's got that sort of decelerization for him. I, you know, I think way too much about this stuff, but but you know, <laughs> that's got to be a great feeling. I'm not falling anymore. I'm close to flying because I'm on the end of my own line, and and this is a unique experience to me. And in the comics, he would be celebratory, and I love it in the movies where they have like woo, you know, that's because it's got to be an awesome moment, and and that right. always kind of sticks with me because you know the Batman characters as well. They're 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 leaping off with their D cell cores in hand and 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 it's and they're in free fall and then all of a sudden the the, the line goes taut and and it, and it mimics flying uh, and I just you know I, uh, again intuitive uh, just seemed like that would be the moment you would miss you know it, it, it wouldn't be fighting in alleys. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Though she did mention later on the next page that and handing a serious butt whacking to a guy twice yeah, in the yeah. eyes, which of course that does make sense. With the yeah, jumping off and and waiting for that slack to hit. When I was reading it this time, I couldn't help but think back to Batgirl Year One, where she tries to do it the first time, <laughs> and Batman cuts her rope because you know he said that it was going to like rip her arms out of her socket, and she's like super upset that she cut. He cut at her rope, so I thought back to that. Yeah, yeah, because in my in my Batman run, I mean, luckily early on in my Batman run, I, I heard about decelerization cords, and I thought, well, that's what they use to jump—something that as you fall actually slows your descent, and that's what they would do. So you would, wouldn't rip your arms out of the sockets because these aren't super beings; they're just normal human beings. Right. And um, yeah. so, you know, that became part of it. She she couldn't do what they did because she didn't have the right equipment. Mm. So on page 14, we see Dick was surprised. He's surprised that that's what she would pick as her favorite moment. In your mind, what was Dick thinking? What What do you think he thought her favorite moment? I don't know. I don't, you know, I didn't really think that far, I don't think. Uh, you know, uh, the justice angle or, you know, dressing up in a costume. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, keeping a secret from her dad, you know, all those years. Oh, gosh. So. Yeah. 
I would be if that were me though. I'd be more. I think that would make me really nervous rather than excited, like a bad nervous, keeping the secret from my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there's a thrill of that too. I suppose if you have a certain personality. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next page, page fifteen, we finally get there. Almost a, a reflection of the cover, but of course she has a different designed outfit on. Did you do any sort of research to come up with either the design of what she would wear, what a trapeze artist would wear, or how maybe like a paraplegic would potentially do trapeze work and, and that her legs would be bound? Did you do any – what was your research into this? If you I, I talked a lot to uh, paraplegics uh, uh, about how the wheelchairs work and stuff, and they were very, very uh, excited about this comic, you know, um, obviously, and how the wheelchairs would work and, and, and things like that. And I think in one of those discussions, I talked about this. I'm not sure what the context was. And then uh, I was either told or realized that if she was going to pull this off, her, her legs, because she had no control over them, would have to be bound together um, to, to make this work. So it just went from there. So, uh, so whether whether I was told about it or from my discussions, figured it out on my own. I'm not sure, but as far as what she's wearing, it just seems like trapeze wear, and then the and yeah. then the, uh, the, the the wristbands, the white wristbands to protect her wrists. So. Right. Yeah. I guess just borrowed it from somebody. I mean, Dick does later say, like being an owner, that he can do this late night trapeze work as well as probably borrow somebody's right. clothes. So it all works out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in the uh, next page here, just show more motion where they're together and going to make a leap. So a nice little easy leap. But then there's a swift change because she's having fun, but then he leaves her. So we've got a swift emotional change. You kind of run, quite honestly, you run Babs through the ringer in this issue with all the emotional changes that she has going on. Well, that's what on. they asked for. <laughs> Okay, as the character study, yes, that's interesting. But I really like on page 17 where she's talking about, you know, are you trying to scare me? And he said, oh, it's supposed to be fun. And then she looks down. I just think it's a really well choreographed panel where she says, yeah, fun. But really the focus is on that wheelchair. Yeah, 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 because she's thinking, am I capable of this? And then she gets really angry at the bottom of 17. (laughs) So... I mean, is she scared? Is she upset? Is she now disproving the fact that she's moved on? What sorts of emotions is she going through? Well, you know, they've been sparring uh, intellectually throughout the issue, and now he's demanding something physical of her. And and she is unsure. I don't think she's as scared of falling, as scared of, or as scared as she would be of him having to rescue her. Uh, That would be even worse than falling. And, um, so he's challenging her in a way she didn't expect, and, and no one else challenges her. No one else challenges her physically. But he knows. He knows she's capable of it because, you know, she works out like a demon. You know, he knows she does. Yeah. So she hasn't lost her physicality even though she's lost the use of her legs. One of my favorite uh, scenes actually that you did to prove that physicality is actually in Nightwing, the, the ballistic romance, where they have to pull themselves up through an elevator shaft, and like she's just doing it really right. easily because of, she's got all this upper body yeah. strength. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, she hasn't Absolutely. given up on that aspect of her life. Why is Dick the one person and the only person you think in her life that can get away with this to push Abs- her? Absolutely, this? absolutely. Okay. She'd be so angry at Batman at this. 
uh, you know, I would have to write an R-rated comic to cover the language. So, so oh. she, she would really be ticked because he has no right. Uh, Dick has somewhat of a right because they were, even though she's a little older than him, they were practically raised together in this weird world they live in of being masked crime fighters. I love the, the line you have that he says, that means you have to trust me and yourself. And because I think trusting him is probably not much of an issue, but it's the and yourself. I think that is the the big thing for Barbara and just her face and how Greg Land drew her, I think, is just really wonderful because I think it really hits home to something that she's been dealing with for a while. Yeah, like I said, she's more afraid of him having to rescue her than failing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's why he said, you know, you, you know, you can trust me. That's a given. They both understand that. But, you know, she's got to she's got to understand that she trusts herself. She can do it. And then, well, she goes for it, and it works out. They make the, the connection, and uh, he's excited for her, and she says, I still got it, you know, don't I? And then we get to the big shebang, which is what this whole comic was waiting for. And It's wordless panels, and you've done these before. Is it easier to write for your artist's wordless panels than it is with words? Um, if you've got a good storyteller. You know, and you've got to impress on them. There's no words. This is all you. You've got to sell this scene all by yourself. And, you know, Greg obviously understood exactly. I mean, it's, it's a great cinematic scene. But, yeah, you got I've, – I've had artists do wordless ones. Like, I'm at that. Some words here. Because <laughs> you, you didn't sell it. But here, here sure. I wouldn't touch it. Even if I had words here, I would have taken them off. It's actually one of my favorite scenes probably in comics ever, uh, besides being a Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson fan. Just the way, like you said, very cinematic, how very close, and then just zooming out. And as we zoom out, we also go into silhouettes as well. So there's you can't really tell what's happening. Right. In your mind, did they kiss or not? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I approached this whole thing like, like an old movie from the 40s where, you know, the clinch mm-hmm. and then fade the black. You know, and then later we see them speaking more intimately. So, you know, you can say, well, they did it or they didn't do it. You know, it's up to you as the reader, you know, what you want to believe. And I would just leave that door open for for everybody. I was not about to, you know, uh, paint a picture. (laughs) So so it's like, you know, uh, so much of comics, uh, these characters, because we love them since we were children, we project ourselves on them. And and I want to leave the reader as much room to project themselves in the way they wish as they wish. So I kind of leave these things unanswered. So I, I, I don't have an answer in my mind. So, so I don't, okay. I'm not holding back here. <laughs> it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's intentionally mysterious. <laughs> okay. I would like to think that they kissed, but maybe, you know, given the, her reaction later on, perhaps they haven't quite yet, but in my fan mind. <laughs> well, as beautiful as that page was in the next page, again, it quickly turns. It's all about ups and downs here because she becomes very upset that he's asking to see her again. And she says that it's more than a date with us. It always has been. So my question for you is, what is Dick Grayson to her? And in your mind of continuity while you were writing this, what do you think their history is? Well, again, propinquity. It's like they've been together so much. That is there an affection between them because they've been together so much, or is it deeper than that? Uh, I mean, he's you know early on in the continuity, he's practically a little brother to her now. It's obviously right, not; yeah. he's a grown man, and uh, you know that changes the relationship. There's there's some 
you know, uh, that creates a tension between the two. I mean, I like to think that early on, and I think I've written this, you know, he had a crush on her. He obviously you would, you know, that's just natural. He's, you know, he's around a, a girl. <laughs> so, and he's a guy, you know, he's raging hormones. He's going to have a, a, a horrible crush on her. Uh, and sure. uh, But now it, it, it's a lot more than that. There's a real affection between these characters, but but can it turn into more, can it not? And that is, that's the hook. That's, that's what old Hollywood screenwriters called the love rack. You know, are they going to get mm. together? Are they not? I mean, nobody wants to read a romance story where they get together at the beginning and they're happy for the next 20 pages. You want, you want to right. read some up and down and, and things tear them apart and, and things force them back together. So that's all part of the love rack that, that, that seems like this. What danger does she foresee in getting serious with Dick? Oh, boy, that's a really good question. And I'm sure I thought of it. And I'm now I've got to think about it all over again. That, that she thinks she's like married to this life um, of her own with her crime-fighting computer network, which is a 24-hour thing, that she doesn't have time for, you know, dalliances or dates or anything like that. Because this isn't the only guy she rejects in the series. I just think she's... That part of her life is over in her mind. She's being very unfair to herself. Mm. Which I think he says at the end about, you know, there's a part of her heart that she keeps... Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so tw- 20-some yeah. years on, I still, <laughs> I still think the same way. <laughs> <laughs> there well that i'm you know consistency is always yeah, well good. it's my mind it doesn't, doesn't change <laughs> I, I am as god made me right so <laughs> yeah what do you think each of the two would bring to a relationship how would they be compatible for one another well they certainly understand each other more than i mean they can certainly talk to each other about things they can't talk to about with anybody else on earth uh and um you know that's something that brings them together and, you know, and, you know, these are iconic heroes. I mean, he's a really good guy. Yeah, he cats around a little bit, you know, but, <laughs> but he's a really good guy. And he, and he certainly isn't misleading her. Um, he, he really feels something for her. And then, of course, she feels the same, you know, for him. But it's more complicated on her end because of everything that's happened. And she's got to be questioning herself, you know, is, is this pity, you know, uh, is, you know, does he feel like I need to be protected? Those, all these things she would reject. Because she doesn't want to be treated that way. Getting out of this issue for a little bit, what is it that sort of finally pushes her towards that romantic moment in Nightwing 38 and 39 when they get together during No Man's Land? What is – is it the situation that is just so dire? Yeah, yeah that- I, think, I think that's natural. You know, we, we could all okay. be dead tomorrow. You know, and, 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 and I don't want to die without, you know, uh, letting him know how I feel. So okay. I, I really think it's 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 like that. It's like people in wartime. You know, it's like it's like why there was a baby boom. <laughs> oh yes, oh. true. There you go. A hero boom. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well the final page, he's finishing up talking to Canary. Do you see this as all happening prior to this? So he this was only a memory and he's just flashing back and as readers we get to see that or did he actually tell Dinah everything um, of what happened? No, I no, I don't he didn't tell her anything. He didn't okay. tell her anything. This is all something that happened prior to the little bridge that I, I probably wrote this issue I know I wrote this issue months in advance of No Man's Land even being a twinkle in Jordan Gorfinkel's eye. And then when it came time closer to publication I'm, I'm sure Jordan contacted me and said, we, we need a, a new opening and closing to tie this in no man's mm. land. 
And so, I mean, originally there was probably another couple of pages of the story, but but I'm glad that I had to do that because I, it it forced me to trim the story down. The story is as lean as it could possibly be made, and I'm very I'm very mm. very happy about that. Okay. So Dinah realizes it's Nightwing when she hangs up. So again, she could be cataloging everything. We don't know. And then we see why Babs was occupado, as Nightwing said at the beginning. She needs some rest, and that's why Nightwing was filling in. And this is something that I've really appreciated that you have done throughout this series, which is really show Barbara as a human being. I mean, she takes baths, she works out, etc. And I feel like this is rare for a comic, why was it important for you to show these moments in her life? And not only being a human being, but also being someone that is confined to a wheelchair and how someone would get around like that. Well, I, one of the things I object to in superhero stories and any kind of story, really, even horror or comedy, is um, when they take place in like this fantastic world that's so unlike our own, uh, that there's no realistic moments, there's no human moments. Um, you, really need, um, you really need to show that they live in a real world, even though it's an entirely made up world uh, where there are other people and other concerns and, you know, they need sleep. They need to take a shower. You know, know, Batman needs to shave, you know, uh, you know, it's just these things, you know, and and every once in a while show those things. I mean, I used to, I remember uh, I had a leading up to nightfall. uh, We were, we were breaking Batman down physically and mentally. He didn't realize there was someone behind it breaking him down. And I, I remember calling Denny, and I said, I have this idea for Batman is on a stakeout, and he actually falls asleep on the stakeout. I said, does that go beyond, you know, am I harming the franchise by having Batman fall asleep? And Denny was like, no, I love that. Go ahead with it. You know, so things like that. And then it was another scene where um, Batman and Robin are on a roof, and there's there's laundry hanging. And, and they turn around at a sound that a woman had come up to take her laundry in, pulled down a sheet, saw the two of them, and fainted dead away. And, and Batman sees to her to make sure she's okay while Robin finishes folding her laundry. And, and I thought Aww. this this places them in a real world. I mean, like like the Batman movies take place in a world so unlike our own, where nothing real happens and there's nothing to relate to. I always want to be able to relate. Again, going back when I was a kid reading those Spider-Man comics, Peter Parker lived a real life. I mean, he he had mm-hmm. to get out of that costume because it was so sweat stained. Things like that, things that, that, that Steve Ditko and Stan Lee thought of that no one had ever thought of before, and it made that character so real to me that I thought, wow, if I ever got to create comics, this is my template. I'm glad to hear that you're a Spider-Man Oh, yeah, fan. yeah. I, 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 you know, it's why I do comics. Steve Ditko is why I do comics. Oh, wow. That's great to hear. In terms of time, how much time do you think passed between this date and where we are now with Barbara rolling in and and Nightwing had been on the line with Dinah. I don't know, you know, pro- probably a couple of weeks because you know because okay. in in the um, in the body of the story, there's no mention of No Man's Land or any of those events. So no. so it, it all as it was when I wrote it took place prior to No Man's Land and then stuff. Okay. So you think Barbara has? Do you think she's feeling a little uncomfortable with him being there, <laughs> or do you think it's, it's now, fine? Now, now it's probably a regular on. thing. You know, he's okay. he's showed up, and it's not to spy on her or report back to no. Batman or anything else. She realizes, you know, he he really cares about me. Yeah, and you end on a really happy note. I, I like that last panel where she thanks him for manning the line. She needed sleep, and he says, "Not a problem, Babs. Anything for you." With the emphasis on the anything. So I, I like how it ended. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> how, 
how does this rank? Now, this is just a one shot, but how does this rank for you in terms of the Birds of Prey stories that you've written? Does it hold any special place in your heart? Yeah, because, you know, they challenged me to do basically a romance issue, and I did one I was happy with. You know, um, I'm, I'm very – and rereading it now, I'm very happy with it. I didn't cringe once. So that, oh, that's, that's a good thing. Um, I'm, I'm very – I'm glad they made me do it. So, uh, and I'm glad it got the response it did. I only wish they had gone back to press a couple of times. This issue sold out so fast. And, and we were all saying, well, why don't we go back to press? But the powers that be decided to obviously make it a collectible. So, I, I guess so, yeah. There you yeah. go. Man alive. And I'm not sure because in my issue, the letters pages are from basically issue three. So I guess it'd be several issues, but I'd be interested to see what reader reactions were. I was thinking about digging those out, but I'm sure they were probably pretty popular. Yeah, we got a lot of letters and they used to send me all the letters once they were done. And sometimes they would even send me letters and say, do you have an answer for this? Um, so, so I, you know, I read every letter. Honest, honest to God, I did back when people sent letters. And, uh, and we oh, got wow. a lot of letters on this issue. A lot of people got, got a That's big right. response. So, Which is ironic because way back when in Batman Family, and I can't remember the issue number, which is bad, when Barbara – well, when Batgirl wanted to shut Robin up, she kissed him. And then people wrote in letters who were really incensed because of the age gap. <laughs> and they're like, why would you do this? So it's interesting just the dichotomy there of how it has changed, you know, continuity wise and time wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just expectations. Like, you know, it's, um, it, you know, the, 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 the shifting mores and, you know, the stuff we deal with all the time. It's like, I can't believe what they got away with now. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, were there any last thoughts on this issue? Anything I may have skimmed over that you want to talk about? Any little details, insider? No, there's no Easter eggs or, or uh, you know, anything hidden in there uh, that I can think of. Um, okay. Uh, Greg, Greg and I collaborated well, but we never talked on the phone very often. So, so there's mm. nothing. There's nothing there. There was no back and forth there. And I just remember that. Jordan and Scott Peterson were very pleased with it when, when it came in. They really liked the script. And then when the art came, we were all like, what? <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, he, he, Greg, you know, fully realized everything that was there in the story, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and that's, you know, that's gotta happen because I can't, I can't do it without him. <laughs> right. What were his methods like? What did he need from you in order to, did he like a lot of details or just like rough ideas of what? No, I, I basically just had to sell him on the emotionality of the scene. You know, what, this is what we're trying to get. Okay. I mean, look, that scene where she's looking down and sees the wheelchair, it's perfectly composed. Right. Every panel in the story is perfect. He did exactly what I, you know, I don't want to say told him to do, but inspired him to do the story. But, I, but mm-hmm. it's very specific. You know, she's got to be feeling this way here and his expression has to say this. And, uh, you know, he, he nailed it. He nailed it every single time. There's, you know, uh, my, one of my complaints about, especially modern comics, is the characters all look so, you know, deadpan all the time. And, mm-hmm. and that's not true here. I mean, uh, like you said, uh, Barbara's put through a lot of changes in this story. And it's plain. It's every <laughs> single one of them is plain on her face. So, and, and they're good. They're not exaggerated. You know, there's a lot of subtlety. That one where she's biting her lower lip, it's a very, a very subtle. And, and Greg pulled it off. Right. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's why this is one of my favorite issues ever, and I tracked it down after years, and I'm just ever so thankful for you coming on and, and running through it. With no, it was me. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to revisit and rethink some of this stuff. What can listeners do to support you, or where can they find you? I know you're working on some. Well, books. they can go on Amazon, put my name in, and there's you know all kinds of stuff there. Uh, DC's been printing quite a few uh, uh, trade paperbacks of uh, all of this stuff, you know, Nightwing and, and Nightfall and Bane and the rest. And then uh, I have uh, I write novels as well. So if anybody's interested in prose novels, uh, there's about twenty of them up available on Amazon. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, head out on there. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. Happy Valentine's Day well, to you. Well, thank you. Same to you. You are very welcome. <laughs> this was fun. It was a lot of fun, yeah. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to Oracle at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Oracle, And follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Be sure to support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. And once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And a very special thanks, of course, to my guest, Mr. Chuck Dixon. And until next time, fly on, Dick and Bab shippers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? The internet's rife with footage of Spider-Man chasing the black cat across the rooftops. And apparently there are hordes of young people cheering them on. They're called... Shippers. No, that has nothing to do with boats. It's short for relationship. As in, they really want Spider-Man and the Black Cat to be together romantically. Or they really don't. And they have quite intense arguments about it. Flame wars, I believe, is the term. You know, in my day, we didn't have time for flame wars about shipping. You know why? Because we had jobs! So here's J. Jonah Jameson's public service announcement to our youth. You're into shipping? Join the Navy!